0: Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. today i'm very happy to introduce dr jamie landeman he's the chairman of urology at university of california irvine and the current co-editor-in-chief of the journal of endo and uh, we will be discussing today a, a couple of topics um, on uh, ureteroscopes and ureteroscopy and dr landman i appreciate your time and your expertise thank you very much for joining us today
1: uh, right uh, first of all as you know who we have a relationship it's jamie and second of all i gotta be honest this is a huge honor i've been listening to these podcasts, which I find fascinating and uh, just utterly delighted to be participating in one.
0: Well, great. Uh, Thanks for that. And uh, why don't we just start off? um, We know that you've been doing a a tremendous amount of work on uh, just overall in ureteroscopy and the technology aspect, Uh, but you have a a lot of unique experience uh, with the dual lumen ureteroscope uh, uh, made by Wolf. And I hoping you could maybe cut it down in a couple segments maybe just talk about the design um, what it has to offer uh, and then maybe some of the results that you and your group have uh, come up with
1: yeah sure so as you know uh wolf introduced two dual lumens uh, first i think it's 2010 or so and i heard of these after reading a couple of articles that other people had uh, started to look at Uh, i think there was a nice article by bach et al where they talked about irrigation flow and then haberman published on um using multiple instruments at once and I thought it was fascinating and so started using the dual lumen scopes just in in trying them and became increasingly aware of the value and I I think one of the things that we've uh over the past 20 years been focused on is is some of the wrong metrics so we we focused on ureteroscopes being tiny and that at least in the US with 80% of people using access sheets that became somewhat irrelevant. And then all of a sudden we're focusing on optics, but we're only looking at half the equation. So when we look at optics and say, gosh, I really love these new distal sensor ureteroscopes. They're wonderful. You see better. We've forgotten that the biggest challenge is not the windshield as you drive, but the weather. So if you drive with a dirty windshield on a cloudy or foggy day, it's bad. If you drive with a clean windshield on a cloudy or foggy day, it's still bad. And driving with a dirty windshield on a sunny day is is probably better. Uh, and how do you get that sunny day? ureteroscopically? and that's all about flow. And flow for none of us is a real problem when your channels are empty because three point two French or so is great. But then all of a sudden you put a little basket in there or a laser fiber or whatever night and all magical instrument you want, and our flow goes away, and, and suddenly you can't see what you're doing, uh, and all of a sudden in 2010 or so when we got these dual lumens I said wow I can use one of these lumens for flow and the other one for instruments and I thought it was transformational to to our ability to do ureteroscopy now what I think uh, is meaningless but what I can prove is meaningful so about four years ago we started a prospective randomized trial and it was simply Dual lumen versus single lumen. Now, of course, uh, being that Wolf are the only ones that currently make the dual lumen scopes, it was the two Wolf scopes, and we compared it to the, um, the BOA, which is their single lumen, uh, the um, Flex X C and the Flex X, uh, and as well as the URF B. Uh, and we just said dual lumen versus single lumen, and ultimately it took a long time because as you know, the reader scopes go down and when we're randomizing to them, we had to wait for the scopes to be repaired. But we ultimately were able to get 35 single lumen versus 42 dual lumen scopes. Uh, What was interesting was there no difference in the patients. And and when we looked at linear measurements of the stones, there was no difference. Only later on last year, did we have software to look at stone volumes and the stone volume was actually twice as high with the uh, dual lumen group, even though the linear volumes were the same. But even with that, the lithotripsy time was shorter with dual lumens. We had uh, a stone free rate that was almost twice as high with dual-lumen ureteroscopes. And the surgeons preferred ureteroscopes on a subjective uh, basis. So with a larger stone volume, we had a better stone free rate in stones less than two centimeters, both then these were both ureteral and renal stones, which was utterly shocking to me. It proved what I what I was inclined to believe was that dual lumen ureteroscopy is is just better than single lumen as long as you're willing to tolerate a slightly larger ureteroscope.
0: And so, if you can um, just go over some of the technical aspects of that uh, how large is it and what are the two working channels in French size.
1: So forgive me because I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think it's a you know it's about a nine eight tip uh, and then the dual lumen fiber optic scope, which is known as the COBRA, has, I think, two 3.2 French channels. The uh, COBRA vision, which is the um, distal sensor ureter scope, has one smaller lumen, which is essentially just good enough for a small laser fiber, or I guess you could get some irrigation for it, and then the one larger lumen, uh, which I think it's, that's again, 3.2 or 3.4. Um, I'll be honest, it's funny, if you ask me, do you generally prefer a distal sensor versus a fiber optic scope, like everyone else, I'd say, gosh, we all love the fiber optic optics, but even among the the dual lumens, I actually prefer the fiber optic Cobra to the Cobra Vision because I like the two big channels. I find that the massive irrigation you can get through the 3.2 and then use larger instruments through the other 3.2 makes it a more valuable ureteroscope. So the actual, Uh, operational aspects of that make it so that I actually use a fiber optic scope when I'm when I'm not randomizing to some study.
0: And you mentioned at the beginning the access sheath I mean with this larger you know relatively larger flexible scope did you find that you're still using access sheaths um, or are you pre-stenting more often or kind of describe that world of maybe a larger ureteroscope, maybe you can't necessarily do these in an unstented, non-access sheath uh, ureter.
1: So it's interesting, I, I almost always use an access sheath. And the interesting thing is uh, I think UCI urology uses the highest proportion of 1416 French access sheets probably in the world. About 60% of the time we're using a 1416. Other people think you can't get them up. I was getting them up routinely And then ralph clayman in his typical brilliant manner uh helped uh, helped us by working with engineering and designing a force sensor and we now with over 300 cases know that if you stay under six newtons regardless of the size of your access sheath you will never split a ureter so we have zero percent injury rate if we stay under six newtons so now we're getting up to 16 french we actually with that you can put up a wire and the biggest ureter scope you want uh, if you're only putting up a 1214, you can put up the COBRA, which is the, a big scope, but you can't put it up with a wire if you happen to like to leave a wire in there. Uh, but with the force sensor, we have had no problem with larger access sheaths, And and, and so suddenly we can have 0% injury rates, which is nice. And we're talking about pulls zero to pulls one ureters on inspection in every case. Um, so for us, the larger scope with the larger sheath has resulted in faster cases and better stone-free outcomes. And, and we're, this is stuff that will be hitting presses pretty soon. We're just completing that prospective randomized trial, and we're just uh, putting on the last touches on the, on, on the, uh, the manuscript itself. But we also are, and, and again, this is data we're still processing, but we also know that the larger access sheath leads to a higher stone-free rate and a faster procedure, at least in our team's hands. Um, so we have a strong bias towards both dual lumen and towards access sheath and large access sheath, as long as you can put it up safely.
0: You mentioned scope repair. Did you guys look at the comparison between the dual lumen, single lumen, as far as breakage and uh, fragility of these scopes and how often they're out and how long they're out, etc.
1: It's amazing. We, I, I have not, I don't have the data in front of you with one versus the other and I quite frankly I don't recall, but this study took Forever, because it still remains a huge problem for all of us. And I think that while I typically disparage um, uh, current iterations of disposable ureteroscopes, that's the one advantage in that we still have yet to figure out how to make something durable. And for a study like this, with only whatever we had, 75 or so patients, which probably is the ureteroscopy we do in a month or two, right? For that to take four years is simply because when we're randomizing to a ureteroscope and it's out, we have to wait six weeks for it to come back. It's it's a terrible challenge that we're all facing. And I remember writing some articles, oh, probably 20 years ago with Manoj Monga on durability and uh, uh, actually presented that this morning to a group of summer surgeons that we've got, and it still remains a problem. I, I, I'm hoping that disposable ureteroscopy is not the ultimate solution because I think it's so wasteful, but it may end up being the only way we can go.
0: Well, with, with that in mind, um, maybe I'll segue into the disposable uh, ureteroscope discussion. Uh, you kind of gave, uh, you slipped out a couple of opinions there in your, in your discussion. Um, maybe, maybe just describe some factual items. Uh, how many manufacturers are there in the United States currently? I, I thought there was four, but um, you
1: can maybe expand on that. I don't think I know the market as well as you think I know. I know that uh, we we here have tried the Dornier ureteroscopes. We've tried the um, uh, Boston ureteroscopes and the Poussin. There may be others out there. I, I suspect there are. Um, I, I, I Perhaps I'm not the connoisseur of these things because my experience to date has been that they're just not quite as good in terms of performance as your standard ureteroscope. Uh, And going back to why these things were formed, I think people were afraid of infection. And quite frankly, that has been a real problem in in the GI field, but not urologically, so not a huge fan. Now, that being said, we have capitalized on the fact that people are now absolutely going in this direction. You know it's not a fad. We are all going to be using these disposable ureteroscopes. I'm pretty confident of that but what people have done is literally take the standard scope and copy and paste into a disposable. What they've forgotten is you don't have to reprocess it, it doesn't have to be cleaned, which opens a huge series of opportunities in terms of novel scope design that will make these things much better. Now there is one scope, and again, I'm not at liberty to discuss it, that's gonna hit the market, which is essentially a triple lumen disposable that um, is is fascinating and uh, Dr. Klayman is leading a team here at UCI of engineers from within as well as some uh, industry folks outside and we are capitalizing on the ideas that disposable scopes don't have to look like the reusable scopes uh, to come up with a bunch of novel designs and and maybe you'll want to talk to Dr. Klayman at some point about that so he'll he'll release uh, the intellectual property as he sees fit but the bottom line is, it is the future largely because there's opportunity. And that opportunity has not been realized, uh, at least in my hands. I, I still feel like I get better deflection out of a really good Stortz, Olympus or Wolf ureteroscope compared to, to any of these disposables. Uh, although I do like the fact that, you know, when you, you're in a tough case, you can really hammer that ureteroscope if it's a disposable and not worry about it having to survive. Uh, but I don't think that's good enough to compromise my ability to do a great uh, case every time.
0: Fantastic. Um, I guess maybe just a, a closing statement on the, dis, uh, excuse me, on the dual lumen. We'll go back to that and uh, maybe close on, on maybe a couple thoughts that you have. What is going to make that more kind of universally uh, accepted, more kind of you know way out in mainstream uh, the, for the dual lumen? I may have said disposable. For the dual lumen scope how are we going to get that more mainstream and kind of more front and center to use? To use that, uh, is it going to be the articles that, that you in your group are publishing? Is it going to be uh, industry driven? How, how do you foresee that?
1: Well, Brad, I would hope that we're all data driven, right? So, uh, I thought of this idea to do a prospective randomized trial years ago, and sadly, it took way too long for the reasons we discussed. But I'm hopeful that that data will actually change some opinions. And, and what I really hope is that other people will be able to reproduce that data in their experience. And once it's universally understood that the, not the necessarily the dual lumen concept, but that irrigation is has been the kind of redheaded stepchild of endoscopy uh, through 2021, that once we understand that, we'll start all doing a better job. And And of course, that opens opportunity, not just for multi-lumen ureteroscopes, but looking at different uh, pressure flow scenarios so we can actually do even better. Um, When you combine trends in in lasers with the thulium and the smaller fragments we're developing uh, with the pressure flow and irrigation concepts, you can envision a future where we're going to do a much better job, um, uh, hopefully, losing the era where 50% stone free rate is the standard, as per Peggy Pearl and a bunch of other uh, you know, international leaders who've been very honest and shown us by CT criteria that we're, we're all doing a pretty poor job uh, and perhaps should look for opportunities to do better.
0: Uh, just to put a plug in, uh, I, the water flow is interesting because I just did a podcast with Mitch Humphreys uh, from Scottsdale and we talked about the pressure flow management or the, the water management systems that are uh, both currently available and, and on the horizon. And um, I mean, I agree. I think um, I, I I would hope that they become commonplace at some point because they really offer a huge advantage to the, uh, the patient and the surgeon for, uh, like you mentioned, morbidity, stone free rates, you know, all the metrics that we really want to uh, have uh, hold uh, dear to our, our hearts as, as goals. Um, yeah. So I, I think those are all very valuable insights.
1: And perhaps the basic insight is not anything about the number of lumens, but rather that we should all start thinking and being more innovative about pressure flow dynamics. Well,
0: Jamie, uh, we sincerely appreciate your time, uh, your expertise, uh, your 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 uh, uh, insight into this is really very, very valuable, uh, and thank we you, thank sir. you so much for your, for your time.
1: You are too kind, it's really quite the honor to be here, and please keep doing these, I'm really enjoying them and learning a lot. So,
0: on behalf of Richard Wolf Medical Urological Society, the Journal of Endourology, uh, I would like to thank Dr. Landman and uh, our sponsors, uh, and we look forward to the next uh, broadcast coming up soon. Thank you.